0: Our Father, Lord, we're so grateful for your blessings this morning, and we're thankful that you have blessed this institution of Wildwood for many years, and we can look back and see all what your hands have done um, through your people and through the power of your spirit. And I'm so grateful you led me into this message right at the turn of the century, um, coming out of a a worldly life uh, and upbringing in Roman Catholicism. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me into the light And to just have the privilege and the opportunity to be involved in your work. I just want to pray that you would bless my words. Pray that you would guide um, what is said. And that your your words, your counsels would be uh, inspiring us, motivating us. And as I share stories of missions and opportunities, we, we pray for an inspiration. And we ask for your blessing. We thank you this morning. We just pray you would be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the topic is missions. What is our mission as seventh day Adventists? We have a message in the first from the first angel to preach the everlasting gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. right now, I want to ask a, a question that's not often uh asked is how long did it how, how long did God expect this mission to take okay how long did God expect that, that mission to take to spread the gospel to the, to the whole world? I, no, yeah, not very long is right. Uh, I've got an interesting statement here. You know, I, I, uh, there was a, a few years there where I read through all of the nine volumes from one to nine. It, didn't, it took me about three years because you know, I get distracted kind of easily. But I, I got through them and I was watching when the earliest statements were that, uh, where, where Ellen White said that Jesus could have already come. The earliest one that I found was was written in nineteen eight excuse me 1868. Okay, I don't know if anyone has found any, one uh, earlier than that. It's, in, it's it was um, published in the second volume of the Testimonies, page 194, where she says, "The long night of gloom is trying, but the morning is deferred in mercy because if the Master should come, so many would be found what everyone unheard. unready." God's unwillingness to have his people perish has been the reason for so long of a delay. Right. That's, when I read that, that part, so long of a day, it really knocked me off my chair because I thought, 1868, so long of a delay? Okay, this is... Uh, do, do, you, do you all know when the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church organized? 1868. 1863. Okay, 1863. So we're talking five years that the church has been organized, and here Ellen White is already saying, you know, really, we this is being delayed so long because God's people are not are not ready yet for the for the and the world is not ready for the for the second coming. So, you know, it almost makes me wonder. Um, and 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 by the way, this was this would be twenty four years after the Great Disappointment, um, and this small group of about fifty people gathering together, and, and, and the movement would gain steam. But already in the first volume of the testimonies in the 1850s, the Adventist church got the message that they were the loudest in church. And I say Adventist church, but they they really weren't officially organized with that name until 1863, the Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, We needed to be organized because I think God saw that if we don't get organized, the whole movement could get extinguished um, by just, you know. But by looking at the statement, it appears that he wanted to finish the work for sure before the year 1868 and maybe many years before 1868 because she says, there has been so long of a delay. So it makes me also wonder, I wonder if God's plan A was ever for there to be an organized Seventh-day Adventist church. And I'm not speaking against that idea because obviously he gave the councils to organize, but I wonder if it was plan B because the early uh, Adventist believers, they, they didn't accomplish the work that God had designed for them, so we had to go to Plan B, which was to organize ourselves for a world missions. Otherwise, it was the whole thing was going to fall apart. Okay, that's just a that's just something I thought about. Um, it seems it seems to coincide with it, with this thought. I don't think that's so long of a delay. It was just the five years, probably. But um, we see that the reasons were that the church had to organize was because. Yeah, otherwise the devil would more easily get access to us and be able to be divisive. There needs to be unity and there needs to be structure and organization. But it appears that his first plan would be that the early believers would go with power and zeal with the Holy Spirit and spread this message to the whole world in a short time. That there, it would be moving so rapidly and so fast from country to country that there would be no time to organize. And the work would actually get finished and, and Christ would come. Okay. All right, so we're just talking about the work he has given to us and the realization that we as Seventh-day Adventists have not accomplished the mission that we have been given from, from early on. There's one other statement I wanted to bring out from right at the turn of the into the 20th century. This is in 1900, recorded in Volume 6 of the Testimonies. She wrote, Had the purpose of God been carried out by his people in giving... To the world, the message of mercy, Christ would ere this have come to the earth, and the saints would have received their welcome into the city of God. So here we see now, now some thirty-plus years later, thirty-two years later, she's saying that that we, as an organized body, now we have, now we had been officially organized for thirty-plus years, but still we're not accomplishing our mission because the purpose of God is not. If it had been carried out, Jesus would have already come. Okay? Now, interestingly, if the early Seventh-day Adventists had accomplished their work, think of the, you know, think of that scenario. There would have never been a World War I. There would have never been a World War II. And many other wars of the 20th century. Okay? Those wars and the condition of the world today has we as Seventh-day Adventists have responsibility in that. Okay? But on the positive side, if they had accomplished their work and Jesus did come, then you and I would never have had a chance to be born and be a part of God's kingdom. So that, that reminds me of Romans eight twenty eight that that all things work together for good, right? So even though there was a failure on one side, it's a blessing for you and me because we can, we can uh, have a chance to know Jesus and, and be a part of God's kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. But we should not, delay. We should not continue to, con- to neglect the work of God. That, that's not the concept at all. I, I've never read anywhere where, where we are actually to delay so that more people can be born, so that more people can go to heaven. It just, the, the longer this world goes on, the longer the sorrow, the longer the misery and sickness and disease. And really, Christ wants to wrap up the work. He wants us to finish our mission, but not at the, not at the cost of the lives of his people. So he's delaying. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that and that quote from from 2nd Peter is 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 very much in reference to God's church. It's not just the world. Of course it's the world too, but his church has not been ready. The reason why he has not come yet is because we have not finished the work. And there kind of two there's it's kind of two sides to it. Number 1 we are not personally ready. We, we we saw that, and number two, we have not finished the work of missions that has been given to us. So there's, you see, both of those reasons uh, for the delay in his in his coming. Peter talks about the that Christ is not willing that any should perish. That's that's that that leads us to um, see that his delay is out of mercy for us as a people. If you look at Matthew twenty four fourteen and this gospel shall be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. Well, that's another, you see another reason why maybe the end hasn't come, because the gospel hasn't been preached to all the world. So there's two reasons there that I see. Along the, also along the reason of the unreadiness of God's people, we see it in Revelation chapter 7, where the angels are holding the four winds upon the earth, and they're ready to release it, to bring judgments of God upon the earth. But this fifth angel comes out of the east, crying out, "Hold!" And, and pleading with those angels to continue holding the four winds until the servants are sealed in their foreheads. It means the servants have not been sealed yet; they're not ready yet. So delay, right? Hold back. We have been given. We. we I don't think God ever had a plan that we were going to have a, a lecture on the 21st century uh, missions, right? We were. He didn't seem like he even had a plan for the. Tw- for the 20th century missions, okay? <laughs> this work was supposed to be finished in the 1800s. But here we are today. We have the same mission and we have the same challenge before mm-hmm. us. Maybe we have more challenges because of the, the delay that has gone on. Um, but we, we need to be careful not to repeat the, the mistakes of the early Adventists. And that's something I want to point out before we get into some, some practical um, uh, testimonies of missions today. Um, this statement from the year 1901, recorded in Evangelism, page 697, reads that we may have to remain here in this world because of insubordination many more years. Has this prophecy been fulfilled? Just the fact that we're having a talk on 21st, mission, 21st century missions says it, it, we have. So we are here. We we and we may even today we could say also have to be here many more years because of one word, insubordination, as did the children of Israel. But for Christ's sake, His people should not add sin to sin by charging God with the consequence of their own wrong course of action. It's not, it's not. uh, We're not waiting on God; He's waiting on us. Okay. A lot of people have that mindset. But wait, well, why is He waiting so long? Right? What is He doing? Why, is, why isn't Jesus coming? But we, we, it's not a blame to go on him. It's a blame for God's people. Right? I mean, the, some people e- e- even think, you know, the investigative judgment, he's, re- he's, he's reviewing every thought, word, and action of every human from Adam on down. That might, you might, humanly speaking, you think, well, that, I guess that it might take a long time. <laughs> but not with God, right? I mean, the investigative judgment could be finished in a moment, Right, we're not waiting for him to finish anything. He's waiting for us to give ourselves unreservedly as a people to work with him and, and to, su- to cease disobeying his commands. He has commanded us to spread this gospel to the whole world. And when we don't do it, when we don't make ourselves available to him, we are insubordinate to our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus. Right? So... We need to stop the insubordination. Well, what kind of things were we being insubordinate to? Aside from just, you know, lack of involvement, there's some more detail I wanted to give. And one is on worldly attractions. I just want to review two main things that hindered the early Adventists of the 19th century, all right, living in the 1800s. This is written also in the 1860s. So some of the reasons why he was not able to come even early on leading up to her statement about his delay for so, his so long of a delay one of the main issues was this second testimonies page 195 nearly all have ceased their watching and waiting it's really hard to imagine so few years after the disappointment and how the 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 I mean the love that they had for this message in the forties and the early fifties, the that the, the, the when the when the key of the sanctuary unlocked the mysteries of the prophecies and, and the and, and what happened in eighteen forty four and the message we had as a people there was a tremendous outpouring of his spirit and the message was moving, but already by the next decade, well, even in the fifties we were labeled the Laodicean church. People are already falling asleep ten years after. Isn't that amazing? it, it doesn't it didn't take very long to get to get uh, distracted by things in the in the world. At this time she says nearly all, nearly every Seventh-day Adventist had ceased their watching and waiting. Early on they were eagerly anticipating a second coming. They were watching, they were praying, they were waiting, they were working, they were giving themselves, they were leaving the plow, they were getting out doing evangelism. But by this time already most all had ceased their their um, involvement. We are not ready to open to him immediately. The love of the world has so occupied our thoughts that our eyes are not turned upward, right? Look, looking for the second coming, but they are downward on the earth. What does that mean? She says, we are hurrying about, engaging with zeal and earnestness in different enterprises, but who's forgotten? God is forgotten and his work is forgotten. And the heavenly treasure is not valued. We are not in a waiting, watching position. Okay, so when she says the eyes are turned downward on the earth, she's talking about the things of this world that were so focused on earthly gain, earthly, you know, employments and and, and work and so forth, We're we're sacrificing with with zeal and earnestness for different... And when she says enterprises, she means businesses, right? So Adamus was getting involved in business. Economy was starting to grow, okay? And, and there, was, there was opportunities to make money. And so that attracted and, and, and drew attention. And it's interesting, when, 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 we're, when we're starting our own businesses, people will sacrifice a lot. You know, they'll sacrifice their time. They'll sacrifice, um, they'll invest their money into it at risk. They'll, they'll sacrifice their health. They'll sacrifice their families on the altar of this business to, 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 to succeed. They'll give anything to it. But then when it comes to God's work, oh, yeah, well, I don't, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the energy, you know, i got to be with my family, I've got to this. So all the excuses come. But when it's your own business and, and the profit's going to be coming to you, it's a different picture. Probably not much different. I think this, this issue is very relevant today, especially in a day and age right now where there's much more opportunity than then economically. Okay? So when you're, when you're focused on your work When you're focused on financial gain and so forth and personal security, you are not in a watching and waiting position. The love of the world and the deceitfulness of riches eclipse our faith An eclipse a planet moving in front of the sun or or the moon moving in front of the sun, blocking out the, the sunlight. It's the deceitfulness of riches. And then we do not long, long for and love the appearing of our Savior. We, cho- we try too hard to take care of self ourselves. Okay? So we're so, we're, we, how can I get security? How can I take care of this? How can I take care of that? How can I make, you know, get in a position to earn, to earn this month so I can care for my family? And how can I, I need to buy this, I need to get this. And do, you know, we just absorb ourselves in taking care of ourselves. This is not the will of God. Who's supposed to take care? Who, who promises to take care of us, Grandma? The, the Lord, that's right. He says, he's going to take care of us, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you, right? We, we try to take, we focus on taking care of ourselves, but this is what the children of Israel were absorbed in, taking care of themselves. And when Adventists have the same mindset of taking care of themselves, they start dying spiritually and the mission will not move forward with that, with that mindset, okay? Now, <clears throat> another, another statement here. Um, after the turn of the century, many whose names are on the church roll are living as if there was no great emergency, no fearful danger of their fellow men losing eternal life. Many fold their hands at ease, yet profess to be followers of Christ, the burden of the work has been left largely with those who are laboring under salary. Okay? Who, are, who are those that labor under salary? The, the pastors. pastors. Okay, But this is not as it should be. The great missionary field is open to all, and the lay members of our churches must understand that no one is exempted from labor in the master's vineyard. She's trying to break us out of this see-in condition of taking care of ourselves too much, going to church, sitting down, warming the pew, folding our hands, listening to a sermon. She's saying we're, we're leave, we leave the work to pastors and we have a mindset, oh, I do my job and the pastor's got to do his. Right? Pastor's job is to preach, preach the gospel. My job is to, uh, to faithfully come to church and give my tithe and offering and so forth, you know, be nice to people or whatever. But, but this is... Um, pointing out that it should not be that we're living in an emergency right now. Souls are being lost all around us. How can we go on with life as usual? How can we move on with the life without any regard to the perishing of souls around us? What's it like to live in an emergency and you're acting as if there is no emergency? Imagine you're in a burning building, 30 stories tall, and smoke is filling the hallways, and people are rushing down the stairs, and you're there, and there's young and old, and you're, try- and you're trying to help people get out, and it's a, it's a frantic situation. Yet you go by an office, and you look in, and someone's just sitting in there, checking their emails, cleaning off their desk, you know, um, not even paying attention at all to the emergency. People running down right outside their office. What would you think is about that person? They've lost their mar- marbles, right? They're 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 crazy. To live in an emergency and live as though there's no emergency at all is insanity. It's completely insensitive or, or you're just yeah, you're just absorbed maybe in in yourself, right? I wonder if the angels look at us and they think, "How can they live go on like this?" The angels know what we know. They know what we what God's plan is for us and we just Pass right by people, and we go on with life without regard for the souls all around us. Right? This is something that we need to we need to break out of in this age. Stupor, that's a good word. What's that? Stupor. A stupor. That's right. That's right. We need to break out of the stupor. Not one in a hundred among us is doing anything beyond engaging in common worldly enterprises. Wow. Volume eight. So this is this is after the turn of the. The century, or 19. Uh, uh, volume eight is, uh, I believe, it's around 1904 to 1909. Um, uh, not one in a hundred among us. So less than one percent, not one in a hundred, is, f- is 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 fully engaged. In this work, we're not half awake to the worth of souls for whom Christ has died. So I bring this out because the failures—it shows us the early church was not able to finish their work. For there's primarily two reasons I found as being distracted, and they're related, right? It's just being absorbed in ourselves, being being focused on our own businesses, and and thinking that the pastors alone are going to be able to do this work, Alright. This is a very wrong concept that we must. Break out of if we are going to have any success. The ordained ministers alone are not equal to the task, period. That's medical ministry 248. This is not a work for the ordained ministers to finish the gospel to the whole world, to preach the gospel to the whole world. They're a part of it, they have the call too. But notice the statement God is calling Bible workers and other consecrated lay members, laymen, of very talent, who have a knowledge of present truth to consider the needs of the unwarned cities. There should be, and I love this statement now, there should be 100 believers actively engaged in personal missionary work where, where uh, now there is but one. So in the previous statement, she says, there is not one in 100 that is actively engaged in serving the Lord. And here we say, there should be 100 where there's one. If you put these statements together, it seems like God is saying everybody should be involved, right? Yeah. 100 out of a 100 time is rapidly passing. There is much work to be done before satanic opposition shall close up the way. Every agency must be set in operation that present opportunities may be wisely improved. Okay, so this one just really clearly brings highlights that, you know, it is not God's plan that the ordained ministers are the ones that should be thrown all of this work. They're not equal to the task. They're the generals, right? They're, they're making the plans, but the lay members have got to arise and uh, uh, get out of their stupor, wake up and, and get active in the work. Bible workers, and when she says Bible workers, she says, she's talking about lay people, because she says, and other consecrated lay members. All right, so we're talking lay Bible workers, okay, and other consecrated laymen of different, because ta- everybody's got a different talent. All right, we all have talents, in the, and the idea is we have to put them, put them to use in God's vineyard, not sit on them any longer. That's right. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. I mean, without the Holy Spirit, without an active personal relationship with Christ, the natural, the carnal heart will focus on self. But when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we we tend not to so much be so concerned about you know the things that we need to buy and the things that we need. We start caring for others. Isn't that right? We need a more self-sacrificing spirit. There are many fields, right? This is 7th Testimonies 254. Many fields, ripe for the harvest, yet have not been entered because of our lack of self-sacrificing helpers. You know, this message began with great sacrifice in the 40s and and, uh, early 50s. People were poor. I mean, the early... (laughs) The early Adams. There was no tithe. There was no. There were no ministers. There was, people were leaving their jobs, and there was no support at all. They were scratching, working. And James White. I remember reading a story of him working like several days hard in a field in the sun just to earn like a dollar, so he could, so he could um, fix his saddle. Right, that someone had given to him a, a broken saddle for, for a horse that was also given to him. He had no money. And these men were on horseback going here and there, even in the wintertime, to, to advance this message. William Miller preached, what was it, 4,000 sermons in a 10-year period. So he averaged more than one sermon a day over 10 years. And much of that was on horseback. I read a story of a, one of the early pioneers who... who Preached in one place up in the northeast in the winter through the snow and he had to get on horseback to go preach at another place a couple, two hours away. And about thir- halfway there, he had to forge a river in with his horse going across. The horse fell over. He was submerged underwater, sprained his ankles, pinned underneath this horse, was barely able to get out. He and his horse climbed out, soaking wet in the dead of winter. Rather than going back I think it was only, he was only like 30 minutes away. He could have gone back. It was closer. He says, no, i got to get to preach the sermon. So he gets on his horse, and he goes another hour and a half, and he shows up as, a, as an ice cube, basically. The guy was frozen solid. His, his, his clothes were rock hard, and he gets off of his horse, and they bring him in there, and he couldn't even speak. He was so they had to put him next to the fire and thaw him off for about 30 minutes before he could talk, but they were all there waiting for him. And uh, this showed that when I read that story, I thought, wow, these guys were sacrificing, right? They had, they were, nothing could stop them, right? The Lord was with them. They were so motivated. They were, they were giving everything to it. But then time extended and, you know, it seems like we just, you know, went back to a regular jobs sort of mindset. Lack of self-sacrificing helpers. These, these fields must be entered and many laborers should go to them with the expectation of bearing their own expenses. Right? You know, we think of missions and we think, well, yeah, well, maybe the general conference, maybe the church will call me one day, you know, they'll, and they'll pay my way. And, you know, we, I've seen this where people think, well, you know, I'm leaving my career, I'm leaving my job, and, um, and so people should give me money to go, you know, support me while I'm there. Well, it's nothing wrong with raising money, but we have a challenge. What if that money's not there? We are told that we should not expect others to support us as lay members. We should go with the expectation of bearing our own expenses. And if the Lord provides other means, that's wonderful. But don't expect that. Right. That's right. (laughs) Don't even think about it. So uh, I, I like this statement. It's challenging, right? Work, right? Lay members working Raising money and using their own money to go overseas that really shows the sacrifice otherwise, you know, it could be and I've said, and I get this a lot people wanting to go on short mission trips, but they don't want to go there They want to go here or there and it almost seems like it's Like a vacation or a, a, you know, I, I want to travel the world and you know, I want to see this place and that place and so <laughs> You know and then I'll say well really we we need you in Haiti for example and then you see the look on their face, like, "Well, <laughs> you know, Haiti's in some rough shape. You know, folks need help there, but it's it's not easy to be there. It's um, that's a close by example. There's many other places like that, but you know. Anyway, we are, we're not we're not in missions, so we can just travel the world, see the world, and and um, go on vacation, go sightseeing on our on our mission trips. Um, when we go, I mean, I'm not saying we never go see anything, but, you know, by and large, we're, we're working hard. We maybe take a day off after, out of a month and go, you know, take it. We're not trying to work ourselves to death or anything, but I've been on mission trips with even <laughs> our students, and I've seen where they uh, took it as a, as a vacation and were disappearing from the mission and were not fulfilling their, their responsibilities and going into town and going visiting here and visiting there totally neglecting what we're supposed to be doing. It was shocking. Mm -hmm. Why are you here? We're here for a mission. We've got to stay focused. We need the Holy Spirit. Review and Herald 1897. Notice the promise here. When we have entire wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of His Spirit without measure. But this will not be while the largest portion of the church are not laborers together with God. So when more than half of the church are not really even co-labors with God, how is he going to pour his spirit on his church? Let me ask you, have, have you seen an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that you could say it's without measure? I haven't seen. I hope we haven't seen that yet. right? Or If we, if we think we have, our, our, our eye, we're thinking too, aiming too low. Right. An outpouring of the spirit without measure, I mean it's just this is the latter rain that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. But how is the latter rain gonna pour out when more than half of the church are just busy with their own thing? That's just not how it works. it, by a few. If, it if he pours into a, if he's able to pour out the spirit on a few, then it will start. That's right. Yes, yes. But not until I mean the large outpouring of the Spirit is not going to happen until while the largest portion of the church are not co together with God. And I don't, I don't know what, you know, what, what I understand from, from this sort of scenario is that we need a bit of a shaking, okay? When we get a bit of a shaking, then it will reduce some of the kind of the, the, the half-hearted, until the percentages bump up a little bit of commitment, right? And when we're really committed to this thing and we have wholehearted consecration, God is going to recognize it and he's going to pour his spirit on those believers, but they're going to go through an experience and things aren't going to be easy, right? Yes, ma'am?
1: Um, I'm from Ontario, Canada, and I wish, don't be offended, I wish I was a black man or a woman. For the very fact is that my friend, Elder Bolgin, Joseph Bolgin, and his wife, have built five new churches in the last 12 years. So the outpouring is going out in different parts of the world, not just maybe
0: on this campus or in our environment where we live. Yeah, sure. Not to say at all that the Holy Spirit is not being poured out in places, but as a people, we could not say that as a whole, that the Spirit is being poured out without measure to the highest extent. Right. We need revival. Yeah, true. It's it is being poured out in places. We can see work going on in um, in Angola. In um, we saw, we saw reports that, that we heard reports at at ASI of it wasn't Zimbabwe. It was um, Rwanda, right? And, and it was Zimbabwe the previous year. And in Angola, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people really joining joining the faith, um, and that's fantastic. But. You have also seen mass baptisms in India and the Philippines. And really, uh, they're not all as successful as they look because the church is not ready to welcome that many people in, to nurture them, and to care for them. and Because, you know, when you're a young plant, when you're in agriculture, it's delicate, right? And if it's 97 degrees outside... And you forget to water for a couple of days and the plant is only like this. You know. Right? You could lose the whole crop, can't you? Mm-hmm. And I was I've been in, I've been involved in bat, you know, 500 people baptisms and so forth and um, and I've gone back to see the the remaining crop after about 3. I think I came back to the Philippines after th- it was 3 or 4 years. I couldn't find one person from that baptism not even one and so that led me to investigate I'm getting a little off here but it led me to investigate friends that I have working in India and different parts of the world and this is a consistent story okay it's a very consistent story so if we want successful missions we have to think the, whole, the from from you know preparing the soil you know and planting all the way to the to the harvest we're not we're not just talking Baptism, you know, and then forget about it, and then they all get wiped away. What does a baptism mean if it is not going to result in in a life in heaven? Right? It doesn't mean anything. It's just a bath. Right? That's right. We need. We need. There needs to be nurturing. What? 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 Um. One thing I've I've heard is that people like to make babies a lot more than they like to raise babies. And that's kind of true in the mission field. It's a lot more exciting and glamorous to be baptizing big groups of people and then but the work you know and is and is but raising that person and spending the time and investing in them well we fly back home and go back to our lives as usual and then the church is there is not even equipped or ready to handle this kind of group coming in it doesn't it's not really that successful as successful as it seems okay so we need to improve on i want to talk more on that when we get into into this a little bit deeper, I think I just have uh, uh, cut two more here before we uh, before we spend some start focusing on missions in the 21st. Uh, from Acts of the Apostles, I wanted to also read this one, page 111, about finishing the work. Long has God waited for the spirit of service to take place, to take possession of the whole church, so that everyone shall be working for Him according to His ability. When the members of the Church of God do their appointed work in the needy fields at home and abroad in fulfillment of the Gospel Commission, the whole world will soon be warned and the Lord Jesus will return to this earth with power and great glory. Folks, it's not going to take very long. When we, have this, when we are committed to this, when there is a generation that is more focused on God's work than their own work, things are going to move. It won't take very long at all. We're not waiting. Sometimes we think, oh, every nation kindred tongue is too much. You know, it's a lot of work. But God is going to multiply the efforts and He's going to pour His Spirit. All He needs is some people that are willing to work. It is pathetic the amount of overseas missionaries that we have in our denomination. It is such a small percentage. There are so few willing to do that.
1: Maybe our focus in the church we're supposed to be having, it's like an education that how we can be of service. And a lot of them are sitting on the pews
0: and they don't know their talents. That's right, yes. They don't know their talents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't, if, if you don't expose yourself and step out in faith and get involved in God's work, you're usually not going to find your talents out. You, um, you're only going to... you know, people, people take these tests to find out what their talents are, but those tests are just self-assessments and that's what you think your talents are. Many times I've seen people have no idea what their talents are and they get out and they try something that the Lord is calling them and boom, you know, these, you know he's just, they feel a calling and they, they start doing things they had no idea that they could do because God, God is helping them. We had a lady here. We were asking her to take over our health promotions and she looked at us like we were crazy. She's like, I've never done anything like that. What makes you think I can do that? I have, <laughs> I, I'm going to fall on my face. You guys crazy, right? I said, well, just pray about it. So she prays. The next week she comes back. She's like, if you guys think, if you guys are all thinking I should do this, I don't see it, but I'm willing to step out in faith. Within two weeks, she was totally comfortable in there. And she's like, oh, I didn't know I could do this. And then she was one of the best. She was filling all the lifestyle programs. She was calling all these people. She had no idea she had those talents. But if she would have taken a self-assessment, she probably would, have, she'd read a, an output that says, uh, you know, oh, she's bad in that area. You know, this is just your own, you know, viewpoint. Yes, sir. I think we have to be careful relying too much on our talents. It's really what God equips us with. Those who he calls, mm-hmm. he equips. That's right. Yeah. So if he's calling you, why do he call you to fail? Yeah, right? So we, we got to stop looking at ourselves too much and just be willing to step out in faith.
1: Maybe the, the preachers aren't good enough teachers to be... Like, they're not getting the gospel out they are picking and choosing rather than saying, okay, let's do a whole seminar on what our mission is, like you're doing, like, you know, set aside time. Okay, that person might have in their heart a little stirring to say, okay, maybe I can't go to the mission field, but maybe I could, you know, get a meal together for a shut-in or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. tapping into the resources
0: of the church as much as we should. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now, lastly, last statement I want to I want to share in this ninth testimonies. Right now, this is the these are some of the final words that Ellen White wrote to the church, and one that I really cling to and repeat often. She says, "The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work." and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. If we're talking about finishing the mission that God has given to us, we must, not. We, two things, we have to not be so focused on our own lives and careers. We need to engage ourselves in the work and realize that it's not the pastors alone that are going to be doing the work, but we're all called to the work. And then also we have to remember we're not then as lay people just going off doing our own thing. Working in an independent way, the call is for unity. The prayer from Jesus in in John chapter 17, right? We need to work together. Church leaders, lay people, uniting hands, setting aside, you know, differences, being humble in spirit, willing to work together. This is what we need. It's not easy. It's not easy to even get a little... For a a mission project to start, you have to have a team. One person should not just go start a, a project on their own. They need a team. But we have a hard time working together, right? Because everybody wants to do it their way. Mm-hmm. And when you have a young team, I mean, if there's if there's not a willingness to work together, that that project can fall apart very quickly because it's a young plant, right? As a as a project. Now, Wildwood is 75 years old, so it's an oak tree that's grown a bit, right? If there, there there's 90 there's 90 workers here. About you know, um, if two people aren't you know. Uh, working in unity, you know, we can sometimes people have to go and, and, we, and, and our, we, we're always pressing for unity. It's a challenge from a bigger thing. But if, if one goes, the old tree is not going to fall apart. But in a young little project, I've seen it where just the two people get in a disagreement, project's over, dead. No, it's, really, it's really sad. Um, we need unity. It's hard to work. That's what I see. It's hard. I know a lot of people that want to start their own project. But not everybody can't start their own project. And we're not, you know, we need a team. We need teamwork. We need to be working together. But when you work together, you actually have to expose yourself a bit to to, um, to listen to other, you know, somebody else and to at times realize, you know, maybe I'm not going to get my way on this. Um, if everyone is so stubborn that they have to always get their way, forget about it. It's not going to work. That's just within our work. And then we're, as lay ministries, trying to, um, we have this, this challenge to work with ministers and church officers. Sometimes we're, you know, I've noticed our mindsets are on different pages, you know, and I, and I, I visit church leaders, and I, and I think, and i just praying, you know, how can, I get, how can I get on the same page here? Because, um, you know, sometimes overseas, different places, different pastors, are, they're, maybe they're not so familiar with the health message or medical missionary work. Right, and um, you know, maybe they're maybe they um, they're not living the health message. That might be one reason, or you know, different reasons, or they've experienced fanaticism and they're just turned off by it all. And I and I and I'm trying and I'm praying because I know I need to work with this with this man. How can I break through? How can I present this in the most positive light to where we, we can actually shake hands and say let's do this together? Okay, sometimes it seems almost insurmountable. But I've seen miracles. And it's easy if you have a negative experience once or twice as a lay, a lay person or lay in a lay ministry to think negatively of church leaders as a whole. I've met these missionaries. Oh, the church, this church, you know, they don't do this. They don't believe in medical mission. You know, the, the general statements. I, I, I oppose that entirely because everybody's an individual out there. Church leaders are always, it's a revolving door. I mean, there's always somebody different there. And... I've been amazed at the amount of godly uh, people I've met in church leadership and how many really do support Health Message and want to work together. But, um, you know, the Lord will lead us there. And with the, with the others, I've seen breakthroughs where their lights have come on. I'll share some stories about that. But we can't give up. We can't surrender and think, oh, it's too hard. You know, it's not going to work. They're not on the right page. You know, I know, you know it's prideful you think that you know everything you know how it's supposed to be done and you don't feel a need to work with your brothers you don't feel a need to work with church leaders it's pride and arrogance is what it is nothing less we need to we need to quit that okay so the work will never be finished until lay members rally to the work and work in harmony and unity with church leaders this is the spirit that we need now let me just show you um some statistics here um the, this is taken from the uh, Adventist yearbook of 2011, right? So there will be slight, slight changes, but not much, right? There won't be much, much of a change to these statistics. These statistics are the, the averages of lay people to ministers. So if we look in our division, the North America division, 200, it, uh, there's one minister for every 287 laymen, right? One minister to every 270 laymen. So... Uh, less than 1% of the church in our division are ministers or paid workers. 99 plus percent would be lay members. Worldwide average, if you take the entire world population divided by the amount of Adventists, about two, 706 lay people for every one minister. Okay. So that's an average of, um, was it, 99? It's, it's about 99.8%. So if you were to see, if I were to show you a, bar, a, a pie chart of pastors to lay people, it would be all solid, one color of lay people and one sliver line that you could barely see of, of ministers. Okay. So who is the church? If you ask the question, sometimes we think, oh, the church, you know, it's the headquarters, it's the That's such a, very, It's a very small, they're the leaders and we are organized, but it's a, it's a minute amount of the, of the church as a whole. And some divisions, look at these statistics. In the Southern Africa division, which is South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Angola, okay? And then in the Southern Asia division, which is India, you're looking at 2,000 lay people to one pastor, okay? So some pastors, just think about that. These aren't 2,000-member congregations there, so these pastors, I, I, I know pastors that have over 20 churches under them. So imagine if, you're, if, if, if your pastor had 20 churches, how often would you see him at your church? You see him and I, and I ask, I say, so how often do you get to each church? He's like, well, I'm definitely going to visit them all once in the year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Caribbean pastors, you see the pastor maybe once every three months. Once every three months? Oh, yeah, yeah. So in this area, probably even a, even a little less. It's like once or twice because they have other meetings too. They've got you know ministers' meetings and so forth. They have to attend sometimes. So they uh, they're 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 once or twice a year at a congregation. So those congregations in these two divisions, which the church is growing, are 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 growing um, without you know a pastor nurturing every single congregation. What happens was, it's interesting, when the pastor is not there all the time, there's no there's no temptation then to leave the work to him. <laughs> all right, this is our problem of leaving the work to the pastor. Well, if there's no pastor, that kind of solves that problem. <laughs> Unless you know, no one's going to do anything. But, you know, it, then the work goes on. It, it, the local church has to carry the responsibility. Who's going to preach? Don't well, well, well so why don't, you know, we got to do it. Who's going to teach? we got to do it. Who's going to? Who's going to lead the board meeting? We've got to do it. We can't wait. We can't have a board meeting once a year. So it gets responsibility, and that gets the church more involved. I'm not saying we need to get rid of all the pastors, but this is just the reality of it. Even in, even in areas, my understanding is in like the North America division where the church is more affluent, um, and there may be one pastor for one church. The idea is still that that pastor is not the one who is carrying the heaviest load at that church. It still is the lay members supposed to be carrying the load there. That pastor's not his job is not to babysit you. His job is to be doing evangelism. He should be allowed to go out and not even be there every Sabbath evangelizing, spreading the message that helps his fire to keep going because it can be exhausting. I feel for for some of the ministers that that are constantly just trying to, you know, help their church get along over all the disagreements and problems and issues and you know they're so absorbed with their own you know they don't get a chance to go and do evangelism hardly we wear them out it's not easy and a lot of pastors burn out so then you end up with we're not doing the work we're all you know we don't have unity pastors are burning out this is the condition that we we need to we need the Lord's help to get out of it okay. so i want us to think of the importance. I'm, I'm starting with this thought because in, in in this day and age, as far as missions go today, we know that we must have a revival of lay involvement in the work. And I am so, ins- I was so inspired last week at the National ASI Convention to see all but one division president attend that meeting. I think there was 13 division presidents there. Um, I figure if there's 13 or 14 divisions. There was... There was one, one short, and in that place, they sent another a representative. And every one of them said, we need more church member involvement. Mm-hmm. Right? Church leaders are not trying to do this all on their own. That's not in their mindset. They want to work with lay ministries more now than any other period of, our, of the history of our denomination that, that I can see. And um, it has to happen. Unless... The lay, unless the church opens up to embrace and work together hand- in-hand with, with the lay members, the work's not going to finish. And on our side, until the lay members stop either focusing on our own lives or stop going off and doing our own independent ministries without cooperating with the church, this isn't going to finish it either. We have to unite together. Okay. All right, are there any questions of what or comments of what I've presented to this point? Great. Okay. Now, let's keep moving. Then I want to show you a few things. <clears throat> I can give you those notes if you want as well. Uh, just email me. And if you're and if you're listening to the sermon, um, oh, that's my daughter, by the way, and my wife. <laughs> her name's Lila. And my wife is Danny. I met her here at Wildwood, and Lila is now seven months old. Um, you can email me at at James at lightingtheworld.org, and I'd be happy to, to get you uh, those notes, email them to you.
2: You know, I think one of the ways that pastors it's, could get their lay members to want to do more work is, I think, I think the closer people get to the Lord, Serve. Yeah. Yep. And I think they sometimes that pastors aren't really focused on getting, helping their congregation get closer to the Lord. I think they're focused on other things. You know, we're we're so consumed with with daily living that you know we're, we're they're trying to you know patch wounds and, and encourage and keep things together. But I think if I think if pastors just really focused on helping their congregation get closer to the Lord, they would just naturally want to serve.
0: Yep. I think you're right. And I believe that's why Elder Wilson started his tenure with uh, the importance of revival, right? Because that's where it's got to start, right? And sadly, I have a lot of peers that are, you know, no longer in missions that I, you know, people I've met earlier on in my time at Wildwood, friends of mine, no longer in missions, and some of them no longer in the church. It's kind of a, a step. You know. It just, the issue is, yeah, it's, um, it's a closeness to Christ. You know, just just our, our, our daily experience with Christ, our, a devotional experience, a relationship with Him, a prayer life, a, a studying and, and spending that time with God, if that's not there, yeah, all the stuff we're talking about is not going to happen we we have to have it that's,
1: that's what I said this church is not doing its duty to teach people
0: well is isn't personal responsibility we all personally we all have to work out our salvation with I fear know, and trembling a people mm-hmm.
1: come from different backgrounds mm-hmm. the church is supposed to be the, the one where you get the teaching
0: mm-hmm. yes but you know we just got to be careful we don't put the blame on on anybody you know, we have to just do the best that we, that we can. It, it can be a very, it can be a negative. It's easy to blame somebody else. We could, we have to be responsible for what, what for our part, right? And um,
1: what's the mission of the church?
0: Who's the church? No, but
1: what is the mission of mm-hmm.
0: the church? Well, how can we know? Yeah. So the church, I already showed, was 99.8 percent lay members. Our mission is to spread the gospel. Our mission is to stay connected to the vine our mission is to give our, so ourselves unreservedly to the church, I mean, to, to, to the message. And the, um, the leaders, my understanding is, are to help organize the, the work, okay? And this is what I want to get into is that, okay, if, you, if, the, if the church is likened unto an army, and uh, the 99.8% were the soldiers, okay? What army is going to win any battle where the soldiers refuse to fight? So the church leaders, their job is to help organize. They're commanders. They're generals. But no commander or general can win a battle on their own, All right? So they're helping to to organize. Of course, it's their, they have a responsibility to nurture the spiritual growth of their flock. But I just, you know, uh, it, uh and, but that's, anyway, that's not my role. I'm not okay. a minister. As, as yeah. an accountant, I saved the with bacon because I got into non-profit status way back in 78. Mm-hmm. Okay. The thing was, I needed to have training to do that. Mm-hmm. We need training to be missionaries. Mm. Well, I Where would we are fully agree. Home. Amen. And so... I, in that area, I also would say probably ministers alone are not equal to the task. One of the references that we led that's, that's why we have light ministry, that's why we many other ministries are focused on training. Yeah, we, we, we have to, we have to help. Programs. Yeah, there's, yeah. You know, that's there's right.
2: classes you can take at Southern. Yeah.
0: Right, I mean, there's SALT, they're there's at Southern, online courses, AFCO, you know, amazing sure. fact. Yeah. It, it yeah. is
2: written. We'll send you a whole pamphlet of Bible studies to do with, mm-hmm. people, with
0: your neighbors. With your Online children. courses Online for those courses in Canada.
1: are the kind of things that our churches are not being exposed to to show this is how you grow.
0: Yeah, we're, we, need to, we need to make a difference. We're, we're going to do the best we can from our end. Okay, um, a few of the things I want to, to be considerate of as far as just so we have a perspective of where we're at is one of them is in regards to the health message itself. Um, you know, there's a challenge of uniting the gospel message with the health, and how these two, Elamite said, were to be so interwoven and connected that she, she likened it as you should, the, the, just as the arm is connected with the body, the health message is to be connected to the gospel work. And this was a part of our, our mission that really, the, the health message, as it came out in the 1860s, and then, you know, when Kellogg was called to be the, the medical director there in, in Battle Creek and he was really the leader of the health work of the church, uh, there, there began to be jealousy, and, that, and, and he did take pre- matters kind of maybe too too far. Um, and ministers start feeling like the whole, that the health work was becoming the head, okay, not just the arm. And there was a schism, right? And there was a, you know, he left the faith, there was argument, there was dissent, there was a division there, And the medical work and the gospel work never fully blended back together again. Something that I learned that I was not aware of was in the year 1999, just as I was coming into the faith, there was an effort to close the health department of the General Conference. I don't know if you were aware of that. It's not something that was published broadly. Elder Wilson was a vice president of the general conference at the time. He stood up for it. You can hear him, you know, and, and tomorrow he's going to be speaking, and I'm sure he's going to be talking a lot about medical missionary work. He's a firm believer of it, as is Mark Finley, who was also a VP in that time. So there's two vice presidents that had to stand up and say, we're not closing the health department of the general conference, right? This is not going to happen. But there was people that thought, what's the point of it, right? right? This, is, this is a gospel message, Right. And, and in that time, you know, they saw it as a department that was, that was um, costing money, um, that w- was not available. And Dr. Alan Handysides stood up, and he was one that they called upon to rescue the health department. So he came in, and he was the health department leader for the next decade. And during that period is where we, we, we saw the Adventist Health Study Two, which is still ongoing, Also one of the largest health studies, um, especially, uh, I was just reading about it. They're, they're viewing it as the the largest, uh, demographic study for African Americans, uh, in the United States that, that will help, um, hopefully understand why, uh, cancer rates are higher and, and and a few other issues. Um, 96,000 people are being currently studied over like a 10 year period, I, I think it is. So, um, National Geographic's article on the Adventist and a lot of exposure that we had, it's, a lot of it is after the, after the year 2000. Right? So in that 10-year period, there has been a resurgence of the health message, much more than there was before. What if it would have closed? We would have lost the opportunity. The world is waking up now to the health message. We've got a huge opportunity now in front of us. So in the 21st century, what, what, what I see is that disease is increasing, mm-hmm. okay, as we get closer to the second coming, yeah. pestilence is, in, is, is on the rise. Health work is needed now more than ever. Right, so on the, on the side of contagious diseases, there is, a, there is tremendous suffering and need, and God's people are to be there to help. Okay? But also we have a rise in disease in the area of lifestyle. The, 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 the modern eating habits, the refined products and so forth is catching up to us. And the multitudes are, are dying with cancer and diabetes and heart disease. Okay, the the message that God has given to us over a hundred years ago is a solution for this. Right? So the 21st century now that now that the the fruits of, of this uh, this uh, modern way of eating junk you know junk there we have a, a we 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 knew over a hundred years ago that this is what needed to happen, right? But now we have such an amazing tool, an entering wedge into the large cities of the world, an entering wedge into religions, the Muslim faith, Buddhists, Hindus. We can reach anyone through the health message. It's an entering wedge to countries. It's an entering wedge to reach the rich, to reach the poor. It is absolutely God-given and ordained. We have to take advantage of it now more than ever, right? And now I also want to say... um, I'm so thankful uh, for Elder, you know that, that Elder Handyside's came in and and, and uh, God used him to help revive the the health department, and now even more with Dr. Peter Landless. He is uh, he is our friend, and he's he was he spoke here at Wildwood last year. I was very thankful to see that. It's the only time I think a GC health director had been here. Dr. Landyside's never made it um, here. He he's showed a lot of support and interest to us. In fact, he is getting us busy. He's finding work for us to do. He trusts us. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share a little bit more about that uh, in a bit when I when I talk a little bit about what light is doing. But um, what what we have been studying so far is t- what, it, what we would call today TMI, the TMI movement. Have you heard about this TMI? Total member involvement. Total member involvement. This is a push that started here in the North America division, and now we, we hear our General Conference President sharing about it throughout Africa and everywhere. This is the this is the theme now for the for the church. It seems it's catching fire. it's catching fire. TMI, total member involvement. The ninety nine point eight percent. Everybody's got to pitch in and, and help. Right? The work is not going to take long if we all pitch in. Okay. Um, Another, some of the, I was just thinking of some of the advantages of, the, of our, the day that we're living in right now. Aside from the sickness, the disease, the opportunities in the medical work, the health message, the opening of the, the minds to, to the more vegetarian diet, especially in, in the Western world, uh, that, that opening door is such a, a, a wonderful way that we can reach those that are maybe atheistic, secular, um, um, you know, the non-Christian world, more New Age, spiritualists, and so forth. Also, the signs of the times around us are just so uh, clear. Um, the, the fulfillment of prophecy. One other thing that was very practical I was thinking about was this. As the world attempts to u- unite together, we know this is a, even a prophetic movement, that the co- countries of the world are, are, are going to be uniting more and more. Okay? In a way, we can use that to an advantage in regards to travel. The more u- unity and the more countries are trying to work together, the easier it is to travel to them. Cuba is an example of that. Um, it is getting easier to get to Cuba now. Whereas just last year, you couldn't just fly to Cuba. You had a charter, only a chartered, approved airline could, could go there and chart, you could charter a plane there, but not just any airline. It was only out of Miami. No other c- city in the US could fly to Cuba. It's very locked down. It was hard. Now it's getting much easier. As well as, you know, some countries are still hard to get into, but um, I think that, that uh, as the world begins, you know, more and more, you know, you trying to unite together, it will open some fields up for us to get in. All right, opportunity is going to be presenting itself. We have to be ready for it, right. especially in communistic countries, Muslim countries. Uh, we have a huge challenge in front of us. Lord, after we've read the statements that we have this morning... Just uh, pray that they would affect our hearts and our lives. Help us, Lord, to consider our responsibility in giving the gospel to the world. Um, help us, Lord, to give our hearts unreservedly to you and to be willing to do anything you call us to. Take away all fear. Uh, take away the idols in our lives, the distractions that that come in front of us. Help us to be focused and to and to truly... Um, allow Jesus to work in us and through us. And we pray for our world church. We pray for the leaders of our church. And we just pray that in this generation, that this work would be realized, that we would have consecration, commitment, and that the Holy Spirit would empower us to share the message of love to to a dying world so that you can come soon. And we just ask for your blessing now. And uh, we thank you so much for your care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.